ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد تريفن حديث 7467 in the Arabic version قال حدثنا الحكم بن نافع قال أخبرنا شعيب عن الزهري قال أخبرني سالم بن عبد الله أن عبد الله بن عمر رضي الله عنهما قال سمعت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول لا سمعت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وهو قائم على المنبر إنما بقاؤكم فيما سلف قبلكم من الأمم كما بين صلاة العصر إلى غروب الشمس أعطي أهل التوراة التوراة فعملوا بها حتى انتصف النهار ثم عجزوا فأعطوا قيراطا قيراطا ثم أعطي أهل الإنجيل الإنجيل فعملوا به حتى صلاة العصر ثم عجزوا فأعطوا قيراطا قيراطا ثم أعطيتم القرآن فعملتم به حتى غروب الشمس فأعطيتم قيراطين قيراطين قال أهل التوراة ربنا هؤلاء أقل عملا وأكثر أجرا قال هل ظلمتكم من أجركم من شيء قالوا لا فقال فذلك فضلي أوتيه من أشاء In this narration then <coughs> Abdullah ibn Umar Radiyallahu anhuma says, I heard the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam whilst he was standing on the member. I heard the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam whilst he was standing upon the member. Innama baqa'ukum fi ma salafa qablakum min al-umam. كما بين صلاة العصر إلى غروب الشمس That indeed your time of remaining in comparison and relative to those who went before you from the nations is like the example of between عصر to مغرب your remaining, your time compared to the time previous nations had, relatively speaking, is like between Asr to Maghrib. That will become clearer as we go along. The people of the Torah were given the Torah. So they acted upon it. Until it got to the middle of the day. Then they couldn't do it anymore. 
فَأُعْطُوا قِيرَاطًا قِيرَاطًا So they were given a qirat, a level of reward. What did they say there? Qirat. So they were given a qirat. And that is often mentioned in the narrations as a, a quantity of reward. They were given a qirat of reward. Then the people of the Injil were given the Injil. So they acted upon it. Up until Asr prayer. This is all like a parable being given of the relative time zones. So the people of the Torah were given the Torah and they acted upon it up until the middle of the day. The people of the Injil were given the Injil. They acted upon it relatively from Dhuhr to Asr. Then, Ajazu, after it got to Asr, then they couldn't do it anymore. So, they were given a Qirat. أُعْطُوا قِرَاطًا قِرَاطًا ثُمَّ أُعْطِيتُمُ الْقُرْآنِ Then it says, Then you were given the Qur'an. Then you, the Ummah of Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, were given the Qur'an. فَعَمِلْتُمْ بِهِ حَتَّى غُرُوبِ الشَّمْسِ And you acted upon that up until the sunset. Because that is your time frame. This Ummah, how much time it has, is that relative amount of time from Asr to Maghrib. That is it. Then the day of judgment. The Jews had the early part of the day all the way till the middle of the day. Their relative time period of existence. If you want to say. The Christians then had the relative time frame from the middle of the day to Asr. So not as long as the Jewish time frame but still reasonable. Then the time frame remaining now. For the Ummah of Muhammad relative to those previous time frames is only from Asr to Maghrib. So that is the shortest time frame. Uh, so you act upon that, you acted upon that up until the sunset. And you were given qiratain, qiratain, double the reward. So the people of the Torah, they say, our Lord. Our Lord, that these people, our Lord, they did less action, but they get more reward. Because they had done their action, their deeds upon the Torah from the beginning of the day to the middle of the day. That's a bigger time frame than just from Asr to Maghrib. So they say these people, they acted less. Yet they are getting more reward. قال هل ظلمتكم من أجركم من شيء? It will be said to them, Allah will say to them, Have I oppressed you from your reward? Have I detracted anything from your reward? Any amount of it? Any deficiency in it? قالوا لا. They say no. فقال So then he says, فذلك فضلي Allah then says, that is my virtue, man that I give it to whom I will. 
We look at the narration here now. The point, of course, is the final line, Utihi man asha. That is my virtue. I give it to whom I will. And we're in the chapter discussing the will of Allah, the wish of Allah. So this narration affirms that Mashi'ah, affirms that wish of Allah. And in the hadith, there is an evidence upon the virtue of this ummah. An evidence in the narration upon the virtue of this ummah. And dalilun ala anna man mana'a fadlahu fa innahu la yu'akhad la yulam idha kana qad a'ta dhal haqqi haqqahu fa ha'ula ujara This is like an example being given now. The first set of workers work from the beginning of the day up until the middle of the day. From the beginning of the day to the middle of the day. The first set of workers. And they get a qirat, a quantity that they get. The second group of workers from the middle of the day up until asr. And they are also given the quantity of a qirat. The third from the time of Asr up until Maghrib. Yet they are given two Qirat. So the first group of workers obviously did the longest amount. The second group of workers did a slightly shorter amount. The third group do the shortest amount. فَلَمْ للأولين لأنه لم يمنعهم حقهم أعطاهم حقهم فإذا زاد أحدا فإنه لا يقال إنه ظلم ما دام الأولون قد أعطوا حقهم الذي رضوا به The first group of workers who work from the beginning of the day till the middle of the day they get a قيراط and they are happy with that and they take that and go. The next group from the middle of the day to Asr, at the end of that, they are also given a full Qirat. And they're happy with that and they go. The third group from Asr to Maghrib are given two Qirat. Now the first group says they did less work, why are they getting more? But it's being said, you did your amount and you were given your quantity which you were satisfied with and it was equivalent to the amount you did. And they say, yes, it was. So there was no oppression. The final group, the fact that they got more is simply the virtue of Allah. That is simply the virtue of Allah upon them. Meaning, uh, some workers, they work in the morning till the middle of the day, 6 a.m. till midday. The next group come in at midday till 4 o'clock. The last group from 4 till 6. The 6 a.m. to midday, they get 10 pounds. They're happy with that. That's their going rate that they charge. They're good. The next bunch from 12 to 4, you give them 10 pounds. They're happy with that too. The third bunch get 20 pounds. 
Now the first one say, why have they been given more? The point is, the first group, they got their going rate, what they wanted for that amount of work. So has any oppression been done to them that some others got more? They've got what they wanted. Their rate is a pound an hour, for example. They've got six pounds for their half a day. They've got their rate. They've got what they were deserving of. No oppression has been done to them. They've got what they were deserving of. The last group has got what they were deserving of, but by the virtue of Allah has given them extra. So there's no oppression upon anyone else. They've got what they were equivalent to, what they were deserving of, yet this ummah was simply given an addition. That's different to saying that the going rate is an hour is a pound per hour. The first group come in and do six hours and you give them five pounds only. The second group come in and do four hours and you give them three pounds only. The last group come and do two hours and you give them four pounds. Now there is oppression. Because the first group and the second group never got what they were actually deserving of upon the work that they did. Now there's oppression. Because they're short of what they are deserving of in the hours they put in. But if you give them what they are deserving of, you give them what they are deserving of, pound an hour, first group six pounds. They're happy. They've got what they were deserving of. Second one, four pounds. They're happy. They've got what they were deserving of. Third group, now you give them the extra bonus on top. That's up to you. You decide to give this group the extra virtue on top. There's no oppression anywhere. The other groups got the equivalent they were deserving of. So this is what he said. That they got what they were deserving of. Nobody has prevented them from the rights that they were due. They were given their rights. But by the virtue of Allah, he gave this ummah a greater amount a greater reward that is not oppression upon the previous umam. فَإِنْ قَالَ أَحَدٍ وَهَلْ يُجْزِئْ ذَلِكَ فِيمَا لَوْ أَعْطَى أَوْلَادَهُ شَيْئًا عَلَى دِرْهَمْ دِرْهَمْ وَرَضُوا بِهِ ثُمَّ زَادَ أَحَدَهُمْ شَيْئًا The Shaykh says, okay, what if you take that type of example and apply it to your kids? The same example, you apply it to your kids now. So you have three kids. The first one does some work in the morning for you, does some chores. You give him a pound. Going rate for your kids is a pound an hour. So they do an hour's worth of chores for you, you give them the pound. Second child does an hour's worth of chores in the afternoon, you give him his pound. The third child comes and does his hour in the evening and you decide, I'll give you two pounds. Technically, upon what we've been saying, the going rate is a, a pound per hour. The first two got their going rate. No oppression was done to them. They got what they were deserving of. It's just that the third child was given a bonus. But is that allowed like that or not then? In that scenario of kids, children, your children, brothers, sisters, is that allowed in that scenario or not? In that scenario like that, 
between your kids, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't have your first child do something for you in the morning and you recompense them with a certain amount. The second one does something with a certain amount. Third one does the same thing, but you give him that amount plus a bonus. You cannot have that unequality between the children. That would be considered unequality, inequality. With the children, you have to be, because it's in the sunnah, you have to be equal with the children. It's not allowed to say, well, upon this explanation, the others got their rights. I've just decided to give extra to one. In the children's situation, it's mentioned in the sunnah, you have to be equal with the children. You're not allowed to do this bonus, inverted commas, for one of them over and above the others. That between the children there has to be that equality, which is that the, the males have the share and every female has half of a share. That is mentioned in the Quran and Sunnah. That is equality between the children. Mas'ala. Hal. And that's why when they talk about this topic, it comes up in the certain chapters of chapter of gifting. The chapter of giving gifts in the books of fiqh. And they talk about the topic of your children, that you have to balance out between your children. You have to be equal with your children. You cannot give preferential treatment to any of your children over others, give them gifts or more than what the others are getting. So you have to be equal with the children. Here then it also mentions, This we've discussed before. Is sinning within the wish of Allah as a general Understanding from what we explained before without going into more details is sinning within the wish of Allah. It is because we've said before, al-iradah is two types, al-iradah, al-kawniyah, al-iradah, al-shari'iyah, the creational sense of things, then yes, Allah has decreed that sinning. But not because Allah loves sinning, it is because of secondary affairs that arise from that which are uh, wisdoms in allowing that to occur. So the point of the narration was, the final section, that I give that virtue to whom I will. Again, affirming the will of Allah. After that, قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا عَبْدُ اللَّهِ الْمُسْنَدِي قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا هِشَامِ قَالَ أَخْبَرَنَا مَعْمَرِ عن الزهري عن ابي ادريس عن عباده ابن صامت قال بايعت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم في رهط فقال ابايعكم على الا تشركوا بالله شيئا ولا تسرقوا ولا تزنوا ولا تقتلوا اولادكم وَلَا تَأْتُوا بِبُهْتَانٍ تَفْتَرُونَهُ تَفْتَرُونَهُ بَيْنَ أَيْدِيكُمْ أَرْجُلِكُمْ وَلَا تَعْصُونِي فِي مَعْرُوفٍ فَمَنْ 
فمن وفى منكم فأجره على الله ومن أصاب من ذلك شيئا فأخذ به في الدنيا فهو له كفارة وطهور ومن ستره الله فذلك إلى الله إن شاء عذبه وإن شاء غفر له This hadith talks about this covenant that was taken. Ubadah ibn Samit radiyallahu anhu mentions that I took this covenant. Covenant, the word they use? Pledge of allegiance, that's the one. The pledge of allegiance. That they took this pledge of allegiance and there was a group of them taking this pledge of allegiance with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam this covenant that was being made. And this particular incident is referring to the one that is recognized as Bay'atun Nisa' Wal Bay'a hiya al-ahd wal mithaq wa tusamma bay'a li'anna kulla wahidin minhuma yamuddu ba'a ila al-akhar li'ithbaat hadha al-ahd. Fayakul mathalan mudda yadaka ubayi'uka ala kada wa kada wa hiya bay'atun nisa' al-madhkura fi qawlihi ta'ala يَا أَيُّهَا النَّبِيُّ إِذَا جَاءَكَ الْمُؤْمِنَاتُ يُبَايِعْنَكَ عَلَىٰ أَنْ لَا يُشْرِكْنَ بِاللَّهِ شَيْئًا This particular pledge of allegiance known as the pledge of allegiance of the nisa of the women. Uh, and in this pledge of allegiance, it is that you pledge أَلَّا تُشْرِكُوا بِاللَّهِ شَيْئًا That you will not associate any partners to Allah. وَلَا تَسْرِقُوا And you will not steal. وَلَا تَزْنُوا And you will not fornicate. وَلَا تَقْتُلُوا أَوْلَادَكُمْ And you will not kill your children. وَلَا تَأْتُوا بِبُهْتَانٍ تَفْتَرُونَهُ بَيْنَ أَيْدِيكُمْ وَرْجُلِكُمْ And you will not come forth with slander that you fabricate. And you will not تَعْصُونِي فِي مَعْرُوفِ Disobey me in the Righteousness and goodness that you're commanded with. فَمَنْ وَثَى مِنْكُمْ So whomsoever fulfills that covenant, فَأَجْرُهُ عَلَى اللَّهِ Then his reward is with Allah. وَمَنْ أَصَابَ مِنْ ذَلِكَ شَيْئًا But whomsoever basically ends up falling into any of those, فَأُخِذَ بِهِ فِي الدُّنْيَا Then he is to be taken, reprimanded in this world for it. The one who, for example, uh, steals, reprimanded in this world with the chopping of the hand. The one who fornicates, reprimanded in this world with the stoning or the whipping or the banishment. The one who kills his children, again, can be reprimanded with death, eye for an eye. So all of these types of, and the the, uh, fabrication of the slander, again with the whipping, all of these actions, the one who falls into them, he is reprimanded upon them with the had, with that ruling in this world. And if that occurs, فَهُوَ لَهُ كَفَّارَ وَطَهُورَ Then you are purified from that. If somebody steals, and there are rulings behind it, has to be a certain amount and quantities, etc., then the hand is chopped. If that is done, then that is purification for that sin of yours. You will not be punished for that sin again in the afterlife. 
The chopping of the hand is the punishment, that's it. You are not punished again for it in the afterlife. Similarly with the others, the had, when it's established upon you now, then you are free of that in the afterlife. It is the expiation for you. But, man satarahullah, whomsoever falls into any of these wrongs, and Allah conceals his affair. You're not exposed for it, you're not given the had in this world for it, you're not given the prescribed punishment, you stole, but you were never caught, you were never known, your hand was never chopped. So that prescribed punishment never occurred. In that case, فَذَلِكَ إِلَى اللَّهِ That affair returns to Allah. إِن شَاءَ عَذَّبَهِ وَإِن شَاءَ غَفَرَ لَهِ If Allah wills or wishes, then He punishes him, and if Allah wishes, He forgives him. This is basically the issue of the مُرْتَكِبُ الْكَبِيرَةِ a person who's done some major sins or done other types of sins too, then on the day of judgment, what is the ruling upon that person if he died and never repented from those sins? A person has done sins, major sins, never repented from them and dies. So that burden is still upon his shoulders of those sins. On the day of judgment, what's the ruling upon that person? What's going to happen to him? That he is under the will of, under the wish of Allah. If Allah wishes, that person will be punished in the fire for those sins he did. And be purified of those sins that he did. But if Allah wishes, he may just be forgiven. That is under the will of Allah on the day of judgment. Under the wish of Allah, the Mashi'ah on the day of judgment. Even though there are a few other issues within that. Some of the scholars have said, if you commit major sins, then you will be punished upon them until you are purified for them, and then you uh, exit the fire. And then also there comes the topic of the minor shirk sins. Scholars say, certainly you'll be punished for those. So there is some difference slightly about the types of sins and the balance, but overall, a person who's done these types of sins is under the command of Allah on that day. If he hasn't repented already, then either Allah will punish him or Allah will forgive him. So in this hadith, we learn that We learn that anybody who does any of these disgusting acts, Anybody who falls into any of these disgusting acts, like fornication, like killing the children, then he is to be held accountable and given his prescribed punishment in this world, and that is an expiation for him. The prescribed punishments, the whipping, the stoning, the chopping of the hand, etc., they are expiations for those people who have committed those sins. So a fornicator, if he is stoned, 
A fornicator is stoned or given the relevant prescribed punishment, differs between the virgin, non-virgin, etc. The prescribed punishment is given to him in this world, then that is an expiation now. He will not be held accountable for that sin again in the afterlife. The prescribed punishment is the punishment. It's not another punishment on top in the afterlife afterwards. وَلَا يُشْكِلَ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ الْحُدُودِ كَفَارَاتِ So that is the main point regarding this issue. A person who's been given a prescribed punishment, then that is the expiation for that sin is done. He does not get another punishment again for that same sin in the afterlife. After that, we move on to the next narration. قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا مُعَلَّ بْنُ أَسَدْ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا وَهَيْبْ عَنْ أَيُّوبْ عَنْ مُحَمَّدْ عَنْ أَبِي هُرَيْرَةَ أَنَّ نَبِيَ اللَّهِ سُلَيْمَانَ عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامِ كَانَ لَهُ سِتُّونَ مْرَأَةً فَقَالَ لَأَطُوفَنَّ اللَّيْلَةَ عَلَى نِسَائِي فَلْتَحْمِلْنَ كُلُّ مْرَأَةٍ وَلْتَلِدْنَ فارسا يقاتل في سبيل الله فطاف على نسائه فما ولدت منهن إلا امرأة ولدت شق غلام قال نبي الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لو كان سليمان استثنى لحملت كل امرأة منهن فولدت فارسا يقاتل في سبيل الله in this narration it mentions that the Prophet of Allah, Sulaiman, Sulaiman that he had 60 wives. And he said that I am going to go around all of them in this night with the intimate relations with all of them on this night. And then all of them will be pregnant uh, and every one of them uh, and they will give birth to a farisan. How do they translate that? A cavalier. See those words? You're not going to remember those. The cavalier. So what they will give birth to a cavalier who will fight in the path of Allah. And then he did that. He went upon all of the women, all of his women on that night. But none of them gave birth except one who gave birth to Shikka Ghulam. Half a boy, deformed boy. So then the Prophet ﷺ said, If Sulaiman had istathna, meaning if he'd said, Insha'Allah, that they will then all give birth, Insha'Allah, then they would have all given birth. And they would have given birth to the cavalier who fights in the path of Allah. So here then, when the Prophet says, if Sulaiman, had Sulaiman said, Insha'Allah, 
And that's the meaning of istathna. In the books of Aqidah as well, you see sometimes the topic of al-istithna. The topic of al-istithna. You may even hear babul istithna. Particularly when it comes to iman. Al-istithna fil-iman. And we've mentioned that topic in the past. Whether you can say, Insha'Allah, I am a mu'min. When somebody asks you, are you a mu'min? Are you a mu'min? Do you say, I am mu'min? Of course. Or do you say, I am mu'min, insha'Allah? So what do you say if somebody says to you, are you mu'min? Huh? Bala, why are you going to say bala? Grammatically incorrect, get out. (laughs) Bala only appears if the question is negative in the first place. Then I would have to say to you, are you not a believer or something of that nature? So you would say, I am a mu'min, insha'Allah. Somebody says to you, are you a mu'min? You say, I'm a mu'min, insha'Allah. So maybe you're a mu'min, maybe you're not, what do you mean? Yes? Maybe you're a mu'min, maybe you're not, you're saying yes, huh? You say, Alhamdulillah, I am a mu'min. No, inshallah. Just Alhamdulillah, I am mu'min. That's it, huh? All right. Anybody else? Huh? Nobody spoke about ihsan. We're talking about iman. Somebody says, are you a mu'min? Then what do you say? If you intend by it, Muslim. Inshallah. You remember we spoke about, we've done it before in previous classes. We spoke about it. The levels of Islam that are mentioned in the Hadith of Jibreel. Everybody knows the Hadith of Jibreel. When Jibreel came to the Prophet ﷺ, they were sitting in a gathering, and Jibreel came in the form of a man. They didn't know who he was. He went to the front of the gathering, sat in front of the Prophet ﷺ, and asked him those questions. Tell me about Islam. Tell me about Iman. Tell me about Ihsan. Those are the three levels of the religion. The level of Islam, the level of Iman, and the level of Ihsan. The outer level, the broad level, is the level of Islam. A person enters into the religion, he enters into the circle of Islam. A person, when he first enters into the religion, he enters into the broad circle of Islam. Then, as you are practicing and more and more fulfilling the obligation, staying away from the haram, increasing in your obedience to Allah, your iman is strengthening, the more and more you develop like that, then you may reach the smaller circle within this larger circle, the smaller circle of Iman, which is a higher level. So now you're at the level of Iman. Then you continue with your obedience and your worship and your pious, uh, piety and your righteousness. Stay away from the haram and the wrong and the makruhat even. Do the mustahabbat, all of that. 
you continue to increase and increase in your iman until you reach even a smaller circle the smallest of them all and that is the circle the highest level the circle of ihsan so you are initially in the circle of islam you're a muslim then as you improve you may reach the level of being a mu'min then as you improve you may reach the level of being a muhsin the higher your obedience and the higher you increase in your worship etc the higher those circles you reach but the initial outer circle is the circle of islam if somebody says to you therefore are you a muslim you say absolutely there's no chance of saying inshallah there because if you're not muslim then you are not in the circle of islam you're a kafir if you're not in the circle of islam then you're outside of it you're a kafir somebody says to you are you muslim then of course definitely there's no inshallah there if somebody says to you are you a mu'min they could mean one of two things they could just be intending with that statement are you a mu'min i.e are you a muslim mu'min because mu'min is the opposite of kafir so somebody may say to you are you a mu'min and they just mean are you the opposite of a kafir are you a muslim if they mean that and that is the context and that is the point then you say absolutely i am a mu'min because here the meaning is absolutely i am a muslim but if somebody comes along now and they say those circles we were studying yesterday in class about islam and then the higher one of iman and the highest one of ihsan where do you think you are are you in the level of iman you pray five times a day now it's been a long time everything do you think you're in the level of iman now are you a mu'min now what do you say now you have to say i am a mu'min inshallah inshallah i've reached the level of mu'min inshallah hope to be of the level of muhsin that you cannot say absolutely absolutely from time ago i'm in the level of mu'min absolutely beyond that muhsin already that you cannot do the salaf they used to uh, they did not used to do that because that is tazkiyah for yourself it is self-recommendation and Allah says in the Quran do not praise yourselves and give yourselves self-recommendation in this way so somebody says are you at the level of Iman now are you at the level of Ihsan now you think you can't say absolutely I'm mu'min definitely have to be you can't do that that is a self-recommendation that the Salaf never did. They feared for the acceptability of their actions. The Salaf, they had more actions than any of us. To the extent it's mentioned in some of their biographies, they would say, if the angel of death came to the door right now, there'd be nothing else I could add in terms of my worship for the day. There's nothing else I could have done in this day to improve on my worship. I've done everything I could have possibly done. The angel of death comes right now, then there's nothing more I could have done. As opposed to most people saying, 
I could have done so much more with my day, so much more Quran, so much more this, so much more that. They used to say, there's nothing more I could have squeezed in. I've been worshipping all day. Yet, what they feared was, are their actions, have their actions been accepted? Have they done it upon sincerity? Have their actions been accepted? So they cannot say and give themselves that recommendation that they are mu'min, they are muhsin. So that is the issue of istithna, saying insha'Allah. Here in the context of what we were saying, it was about the story of Sulaiman saying that I'm going to go upon all of his women and that they will all give birth and he'll have the, all 60 will give birth and then he'll have the cavaliers fighting in the path of Allah. Yet he didn't say, insha'Allah. And so none of them gave birth and only one gave birth and that was to a child that was deficient. Deficient, uh, deformed, deficient in his creation. So the Prophet said, had Sulaiman said, insha'Allah, then all of them would have given birth and he would have had the cavaliers born fighting in the path of Allah. وَسَيَاقُ الْحَدِيثِ فِي اللَّفْظِ الْآخَرِ أَصَحِ وَهُوَ أَنَّ النِّسَاءِ كُنَّ تِسْعِينَ مْرَأَةٍ لَا سِتِّينَ مْرَأَةٍ There is another version of the narration which mentions 90 women and as Shaykh Al-Athaymeen says that is actually more accurate وَأَنَّهُ قِيلَ لَهُ قُلْ إِنْشَاءَ اللَّهِ فَلَمْ يَقُلْ إِنْشَاءَ اللَّهِ and that it mentions in the other narration, it was said to Sulaiman, say insha'Allah, but he didn't say it. It was said to him, say insha'Allah, but he didn't say it. وَقُلْنَا لَكُمْ إِنَّ هَذَا فِيهِ فَائِدَةً وَهِيَ حَمْلُ الْإِنسَانِ عَلَى الْبَحْثِ That is regarding that issue. So here the point again is regarding saying, insha'Allah, if Allah wills. If Allah wills, and that is affirming therefore the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. After that, قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا مُحَمَّدْ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا عَبْدُ الْوَهَّابِ الثَّقَافِي قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا خَالِدٌ الْحَذَّاءِ عَنْ اِعْكْرِمَةِ عَنْ ابْنِ عَبَّاسَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمَا أَنَّ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمْ دَخَلَ عَلَى أَعْرَابِيٍّ يَعُودُهُ فَقَالَ لا بأس عليك طهور إن شاء الله قال قال العربي طهور بل هي حمى تفور على شيخ كبير تزيره القبور قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فنعم إذن In this narration it mentions that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم entered upon an Arabi and what is the A'rabi? Often mentioned in the narrations about the A'rabi. Like Bedouins we may say. The ones who used to live a more nomadic lifestyle outside of the cities, outside of the urban developments. They were living outside nomads, Bedouins. So on this one occasion the Prophet ﷺ visited this Bedouin who was ill. And said to him, La ba'sa alayk tahoorun insha'Allah. The dua that you make for somebody. Ill. So then the A'rabi said, Tahoor, 
بل هي حمى تفور على شيخ كبير that it is a fever grasping an elderly man how do they say it a fever burning an elderly man it is a fever burning an elderly man tuziruhu alqubur burning in the body of an elderly man tuziruhu alqubur it is huh? it is making him visit the graves azara that it is making him visit the graves they said what it will make him visit the grave visit his grave the point is the man is saying that his illness right now what he has he has as they say one foot in the grave that he is upon the verge of death so when he said when the prophet sallallahu said to him tahur inshallah he said tahur he's like questioning it like there's little possibility of that now he was questioning that as if they say in my situation now it's the grave it's not pure it's not uh, getting well now for my situation it's not a case of getting well now it's a case of the grave now so the point being though the prophet ﷺ visited this man hoping for goodness for him hoping for him to get better and be cured and so he made the dua la ba'sa alayk tahurun inshallah but the fever was severe it was a severe fever upon that elderly bedouin so then he says tahur is this something that is purification for me is this something that is purifying me and expiating my sins etc how can that be hiya humma tafur it is a fever that is burning me burning an elderly man taking him to his grave فقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فنعم إذن then that be so what they say then it is so والظاهر أنها أزارته القبور لأن الرسول قال فنعم إذن فحرم هذا الرجل بركة رجاء الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم بسبب أن في قلبه شيء من الغضب على ما حصل له so it is that this man deprived himself of the barakah of the dua of the Prophet ﷺ because he had some hatred in his heart for the situation that he was in. Saying this fever, how can it be purification, it's burning me, etc. He had some degree of being upset and not content with his situation. So the Shaykh says he deprived himself of that dua of the Prophet ﷺ. The point being though, we need the shahid. Remember, as we're going through these narrations here, we're not going through them to explain the hadith and the fiqh of the hadith. The point of these narrations is to highlight the explanation of the chapter. And the chapter is regarding the affirmation of and the explanation of the will of Allah. At the beginning of the book, if you remember, two years ago now, we did start with full explanations of all of the hadith. But in that case, if you do that, it becomes a different type of lesson.
and it actually does detract from the purpose of Imam al-Bukhari in writing this book in this way. If you use it in that way, that's a different objective then. The objective here is to understand the chapters and the evidences for those chapters. That is an objective of study and so the study occurs in a particular way. If the objective was more a full explanation of every point and every hadith, we'd only be doing one per lesson at most. So here the point is to understand these narrations and the points of evidence from them. And you can see that here because in the narration it says that the Prophet said to the man, Tahurun in Allah, And therefore the narration has an affirmation of the will of Allah in it. And that's why when you come across some of these books of hadith, you might think some of these hadith that are in this chapter, they're completely different topics. One hadith talking about the example of the workers and the time frames left and the Jews and the Christians and the Muslims. One talking about this man being visited when he's ill. One talking about the story of Sulaiman. All completely different topics in these hadith. They're not related in their topics and their subjects. But it's those points, the shawahid, those points that Imam al-Bukhari wants to pick out, not the connection of the subjects of the hadith. So all of these hadith have that common denominator, the common point between them all somewhere, whatever their subjects may be, that they are all affirming the Mashi'ah of Allah. And that is what the point here is, and that is what the objective here is. Then we move on to the next one. قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا حَدَّثَنَا بْنُ سَلَامٌ قَالَ أَخْبَرَنَا هُشَيْمٌ عَنْ حُسَيْنٌ عَنْ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ بِنْ أَبِي قَتَادَةٍ عَنْ أَبِيهِ حِينَ نَامُوا عَنِ الصَّلَاةِ قَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ إِنَّ اللَّهَ قَبَضَ أَرْوَاحَكُمْ حِينَ شَاءَ وَرَدَّهَا حِينَ شَاءَ فَقَضَوْ حَوَائِجَهُمْ وَتَوَضَّأُوا إِلَىٰ أَنْ طَلَعَتِ الشَّمْسِ وَبِيَضَّتْ فَقَامَ فَصَلَّى uh, It mentions in this narration that the Prophet وسلم, said on one occasion when they had overslept the prayer. They had overslept uh, upon the prayer, so the Prophet ﷺ said, "Inna Allah qabda arwahakum hina sha, waradha hina sha." That Allah takes your souls when He wishes and returns them when He wishes. That is in reference to a person sleeping. When a person sleeps, we know in the Sunnah it mentions your soul. It leaves your body. It is taken by Allah. And then it mentions in the narration, some of the souls Allah returns, those people wake up. Others Allah does not return, they are the ones who die in their sleep. So the soul exits the body during sleep. And that's why it's known as the wafat al-wafat al-sughra, the minor death. The minor death because the soul exits from the body. So then it mentions, 
فَقَضَوْ حَوَائِجَهُمْ So they took care of their needs. وَتَوَضَّعُوا And then they made wudu إِلَىٰ أَنْ طَلَعَتِ الشَّمْسِ وَبِيَضَّتْ Up until when the sun arose and became whitened. فَقَامَ فَصَلَّى Then he stood and prayed. The point of this narration, it's not about the fact that they woke up late for the prayer or the fiqh of that. That is what the subject of the hadith is actually about. The subject of the hadith is a fiqh issue regarding the prayer and waking up late for the prayer and what to do. But that isn't our point here. And that isn't the reason why Imam al-Bukhari mentioned the hadith here. He mentioned it because it says there that Allah takes your souls when He wishes and returns them when He wishes. Therefore affirming once again, the Mashi'ah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We'll round off on that one for today. Any questions, anything to add? So a person who's done lots of sins in the past, a person who's done lots of sins in the past, and then Allah bestows upon him to rectify. So now he wants to make tawbah for all of those past sins. But, and this may be the case for people, those who start practicing, maybe previously they were involved in things and they've done lots of sins. And when they become practicing, now they want to repent for that past sinning. But there's so many years of so many sins and so many things they did. So many people they may have oppressed, so many things they stole from others. How are they going to rectify all of that? Especially uh, when it comes to the issues of the rights of others. Imagine they were a thief. 20 years of their lives they were stealing people's cars and phones and everything. How are they going to return all those things? Because one of the conditions of repentance for that situation is you have to return the rights of the one you oppressed. So somebody was a thief for 20 years of their life, then they started practicing. They robbed from a thousand different people in those 20 years. Who knows what the quantity of the goods is? How are they going to repent? How are they going to return all of those goods? How do they even remember how many times they stole and what they stole? So in that situation, when it comes to the rights of others, in that point first, when it comes to the rights of others, the scholars say, there's no way in that situation you're going to remember who you stole off, what you stole, who those people are. Then all you can do is give in charity on behalf with the intention of those victims of yours. You give in charity on behalf of those you oppressed previously. You used to steal from people, you used to beat people, you used to do whatever you did. No idea who those people are now, how you're going to return their rights to them. So give in charity with the intention of those people, that is returning the rights to them. Otherwise, all of the sins yourself you've done in the past, you don't know how many it is, what it is. Then it is done upon, they say, the aghlab, ma ghalaba ala dhihnik. Or whatever is 
overwhelmingly upon you uh, in recognition you have so you know what you may have done generally and how many and what you make repentance to the best of your ability for those sins as a whole you don't have to make repentance one by one for all of the sins of the 20 years and things that you did it would be a general type of repentance from all of that past life a general repentance from all of those sins that you've done uh, and to return the rights where you can and where you can't you give charity with the intention of those victims of yours in the past and that is then leveling out the rights between those people and yourself too so you make your best in that situation you do your best with the best uh, toba you can make and the seeking of forgiveness you can do and there's nothing more you can do if you cannot remember details of exact events You can make dua for those people, correct? Those people that you've oppressed and you don't know now, give in charity for them and make dua for them. That is good too, that is mentioned, yes. If he's a kafir, you can make dua for him. Nothing wrong with making dua for a kafir. But of course, the only dua you'd make for a kafir is that may Allah guide them to Islam and that is a beautiful dua to make for those victims that you had. You return, you make, you can give charity and, and you make dua for those kuffar, then Allah guides them to Islam. Oh. The rights have been split in inheritance and in uh, gifts in that way Islamically. That the boy has the share and the female has half the share. So that is mentioned accordingly in the Sunnah. So that is how it should be done. I know, but you shouldn't then improve it and increase on it because then you're not doing it in accordance to how the Sunnah has specified it. And that's people always ask with inheritance, can I not just give the daughters, I've got lots of money, millionaire, whatever, everybody's getting plenty, can I not just give the daughters the same amount as the boys are getting? Islamically, no. Islamically, no. Because then you are oppressing the boys, you are oppressing the males, because that share now is their share. That's their share. So, uh, really, in those kinds of situations, you stick to how the Sunnah explains it. What if it's work, but not actually inheritance? Work is up to you what you want to pay them. Work, uh, your children are doing work. You, you want to give them a certain amount of cash for this work. They're doing kids, especially young kids. It's not a big deal. They're not balig. It's not the age of puberty. Whatever you give them, what they're going to do with it anyway. Ah. Dice games Because they are purely games of Chance So they are not appropriate You should not play dice games That are pure games of chance There's an article I think Musa Richardson somebody There's a full article about it You can read it Make a qiyas and they say that 
because a woman only has the half of the uh, inheritance. A man cannot pray with a woman on her own because she's only half of us. There's only two women. I'm mm -hmm. just wondering if this qiyas was uh, batil or not. Yeah, yeah. Not heard this particular example, but it makes sense. That they would say <coughs> the female has half the inheritance of a man, even when it comes to witnessing, requires two witnesses from the females to the one man. So it is as though the female in those affairs is considered as half in the testifying in the inheritance, etc. to the man. Therefore, if it is just, for example, a husband and wife praying together, they would say upon a madhab that this is not a jama'a prayer because it is only one and a half people. That is not something which is going to be accepted by the Jumhur because the Qiyas, they would say, in this situation, they call it Qiyas Ma'al Fariq. It is an analogy being given, but there is a critical factor that doesn't add up equally in the two situations. And if a critical factor, a differentiating factor, which is splitting the two situations and not making them equal, then you can't apply the rulings equally on them. So they would say that is the case here. Because in this situation, the prayer of the woman isn't considered half a prayer because that would mean the woman has to pray dhuhr twice and then asr twice and all of the prayers twice if we're considering her as half a prayer. So for that reason, the majority of the scholars aren't going to accept this qiyas. They'll say this is a qiyas that doesn't add up in the scenario. In that case, a woman has to pray all of her prayers twice to make up a full prayer. And that is obviously completely incorrect. So it is completely okay for a man to pray, for example, with his wife or daughter or someone. Just the two of them can be prayed. Where does she stand though? Behind the man, not to the side of the man. Ah, behind the man. That is the way of the lining up mentioned in the hadith. There are some scholars who say she can stand at the side, but behind is what is generally accepted and mentioned in the narrations. In that example, it seems to indicate that he didn't get it. That's the indication that maybe he, he died from that. But you have to look into the explanations, and it's rarely going to be mentioned. Maybe somebody might mention what happened to him. But the point here, the Sheikh says, is he was deprived of the blessing of the dua of the Prophet, at least. He was deprived of the blessing of the dua from the Prophet, at least. The optimistic, uh, what's it connected to? Mm -hmm. Being optimistic, what can anybody tell us about that topic? Uh, <coughs>
Ah, okay, okay, that one, yeah, so it's a clearer one, easier. In the Nabi Sallallahu the Prophet Sallallahu used to love optimism. Hadith. So that is, of course, and that narration you find in Kitab al-Tawheed about the issues of optimism because it's mentioned in the topics where the Mushrikeen used to have pessimism about things and the, the suspicions. Throw a stone if the birds fly out of the tree to the left. Pessimism for the day. Don't leave your homes. It's going to be bad things. If the birds fly out to the right, optimism. Okay, go do what you want to do. That's what they used to do. All right, we'll round off on that for tonight. Then carry on next week, inshallah ta'ala, at the same time after Isha. You got anything? Quickly, quickly.